We're in a new pursuit of SEO. You best be prepared. We're covering zero volume keywords and knowledge graph optimization with Mark Williams Cook today on The Edge. Your weekly digital marketing trends with industry trend-setting guests. Powered by your digital marketing pioneers, Site Strategics. This week's featured guest is Mark Williams Cook, director of Candor and founder of Also Asked. Now, here's your host, Aaron Sparks. This is Edge of the Web Radio. I'm your host, Aaron Sparks. Every week we bring you some amazing guests to chat about digital marketing trends and, and tactics in the marketplace. Uh, we unpack a key marketing topic for our digital marketing audience. So whether you're a part of an agency, freelancer, or part of a firm with a marketing department, this show is for you. So be sure to check out all of the recent shows over at edgeofthewebradio.com. Edge of the Web is brought to you by our title sponsor, Site Strategics. We're pioneers in the agile digital marketing methodology. Our core specialties are SEO, SEM, social media management and marketing, focus on conversion rate optimization, and omni-channel media broadcast, uh, very similar to what we do for the show. Uh, so check out everything uh, that we can do for you over at sitestrategics.com, or just give us a shout, and we'd be happy to have a free hour consultation with you online or in the house, uh, 877-SEO-FOR-WEB or 877-736-4932. Some uh, quick housekeeping, then we're off to the races here. Just want to let you know who will be coming up on the show over the next couple of episodes. We're going to be talking to Cyrus Shepard as well as Kevin Indig. want to also check out the recent shows of Cindy Crum, Dan Shore, and Norm Vogel. That was some fantastic uh, content there, and I certainly appreciate their contribution uh, some great, great shows. Uh, if you're interested in being part of the show, just drop us a line at info at edgeofthewebradio.com. Set your reminders on YouTube whenever we pop our shorts out there. So we're starting to pepper our YouTube channel with different shorts from these interviews. So you can take these uh, snackable nuggets and uh, uh, use them Use them wisely because they're pretty sharp tools out there. Uh, make sure you check out our weekly podcast as well, covering the most recent digital marketing news and Google updates. We're dropping it every Tuesday to help you navigate your week in digital marketing. And continued on, uh, two years now, we've had Morty Oberstein as the co-host of our show. He's the head of SEO branding over at Wix. That's housekeeping. Thanks for listening. Now let's meet this week's industry expert guest. So I want to introduce you to Mark Williams Cook. He's the director at a digital agency named Candor in uh, in the UK. He oversees everything to do with digital marketing, uh, that side of the business, actually. And he usually gets very involved, hands-on, to anything to do with SEO. He runs uh, also the Search with Candor podcast, and they provide weekly coverage on search marketing industry topics, covering SEO, PPC, and, you know, maintains uh, a good, pretty good following here as well. And he's built the search marketing departments for three successful UK agencies, getting rankings for clients such as Expedia, Cheap Flights, Groupon, Hitachi, and more. Uh, here's the interesting thing beyond that. That's, that's all interesting. But uh, he's also founded a, a SaaS platform uh, software called AlsoAsk.com. It's a content research tool that collates and organizes people also ask data from Google search engine results. And it makes it easy for marketers to actually, and content writers, to uh, steer their content towards what people are searching for. So it's an incredibly interesting tool. And we're going to learn a lot about that, as well as entity SEO and zero volume search today. But first, let's, uh, let's introduce Mark. Mark, thanks for coming on the show today. 
Thank you so much for having me. Really excited to be here. Great intro. <laughs> Everybody didn't hear the other other cuts that we just did here. But yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate it. From a podcaster to the podcaster, thanks for joining us. Hey, I just gave a bit of a bio of what you've been doing here, but let our listeners hear from you. Give me a backstory of how you came into digital marketing in the UK. Okay, so I think for it's going to be a similar story to a lot of people that have been knocking around for the same amount of time as me, which is going on 20 years now in SEO. Yeah. And that was by accident. So it wasn't sort of a, a career choice. I started making websites when I was quite young, just in kind of interest areas. And as it happened, one of my friends showed me how to put an Amazon affiliate store mm -hmm. on one of these sites. And it happened that one day I, I started making, it was about 50 to 80 pounds a day Whoa. through this affiliate store. Yep. And I was like, oh, that's how you know, what, what's going on here? And I was actually selling, I remember this one specific um, DVD player, mm -hmm. even though the site had nothing to do with DVD players. So we had, uh, we installed, I think it was AW stats at the time. Yeah. Um, no analytics. And, um, Oh my gosh. I out, remember that platform. Yeah. 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 Sorry. Don't mean yeah, to interrupt right? you. Yeah. Keep on going. Yeah. And I discovered, yeah, the traffic was coming from search engines. So by complete fluke, uh, by complete chance, I was ranking number one in Google. On Am I was outranking Amazon for this product term, um, reflective of, I guess, how good search engines were then. <laughs> and yeah, that that started my interest in, wow, hang on, you know, there's a lot of traffic here. How does this work? Absolutely. And then, yeah, managed quite early on through a friend to get a kind of entry-level SEO job at an agency. And then, yeah, continued building my own sites and learning, you know, of some really good people uh, at the agency. Hmm. I got a friend of mine that I actually did very similar to that. He was selling uh, Bucati uh, motorcycle parts online and and started uh, selling. He was just referring to him and getting affiliate traffic, and that really started to build up. So um, you're selling yourself short here from getting into the market to actually building three different marketing departments and agencies. So that's actually a very interesting space. Can you kind of walk us through how that happened? Uh, because let alone just having your own career path, but you actually planted departments in different agencies. That's unique to say the least. <laughs> yes. So I had a short period, fairly short period working for myself doing mainly kind of AdSense sites, affiliate sites. And I thought, you know, this is brilliant. I've cracked it. I can sit here in my boxer shorts eating cereal at 11 a.m. in the morning and, and working. But after many months of doing that, and I'm sure, especially after COVID, people understand this, you kind of get to the situation where you're sitting there at your computer in your bedroom, wherever, being like, oh, I hope that pigeon comes back tomorrow. It's getting kind of lonely um, in here. So I actually was from the first agency I worked at, I was there, I think about a year, year and a half. And I saw a role to essentially start a, um, or just do a bit of SEO at an agency that was only doing, um, kind of design and build at the time. Mm -hmm. And I was really, really lucky because I joined that team and the owners, the managers of that company were fantastic in that they gave me a lot of mentoring and advice in terms of just how they're running the business and managing the staff and gave me a lot of insight. I set up that kind of department there and started doing the SEO and then helped them hire the first few people there. And it was very natural progression. And I was super lucky that I had the right people at the right time to kind of mentor me. And then yeah. they offered me 
a directorship. I think I'd again, I'd only been there maybe two years at that point. Um, so they gave me equity. And then, yeah, things ramped up from there. They actually sold that business to a larger group a few years ago, years after I left. And then that essentially became the job I had at the next two agencies I was at, which was the the next agency was, again, they were a traditional, again, started, which I think, again, many agencies sort of formed this way. They started doing web build, web mm -hmm. design. They had a then a marketing department. This one was kind of flagging and it was two very separate teams. And because I had the experience of sort of meshing those together, I came in and did that as a project over about 18 months. Hmm. And then again, as luck would have it, I've been, I've been very lucky. I was approached by what is now Canda. At the time, there was two directors there and offered me an equal partnership here to come and build this, which I've been doing ever since. And yeah, it's worked out really well for us all. That's great. And that's actually uh, a testament to your skills as well, because having an SEO career is one thing, actually having the confidence and the wherewithal to be able to create departments and having them successful, right, is a whole nother thing. So you've got that entrepreneurial bent and we're obviously uh, wanting to dig into your software platform. But I wanted to start talking about a number of key concepts before we got there. And yeah. uh, something that you're you're actually very oriented towards. So I want to introduce the concept to our listeners who may have not come across it before. That's zero volume keywords. They may not have actually heard this particular phrase put this way. What is a zero volume keyword? <laughs> Great question. And I love explaining it to people for the first time. Hit me. So a zero volume keyword is essentially at its most basic level, when you check how many searches a keyword might have per month, yep. and the tool that you are using gives you an answer of zero. And why it's interesting is that a lot of the time, the tool that you're using is telling you zero just because it doesn't have any data, right. not necessarily that the true search volume is zero. So there lay opportunity. Absolutely. So, so again, naturally, we'd be oriented towards, uh, well, this term doesn't have any value, so why would we even optimize towards it, right? From a marketing, a, a true on marketing perspective that's going after where the traffic is, right, and where the volume is, it seems like a non sequitur. It's like, okay, that, that's not, the, it's a narrow term, it's a long tail usually, right? Um, that's right. And, and it's a goose egg when it comes down to where the traffic is. So now, because there's no search volume now, well, before anything else, we're also relying on an API. We're, we're, we're relying on Google feeding back to us the data. And they have also thresholds that they don't share everything either, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, there are platforms that do clever things with data from Google and certain clickstream data. Mm -hmm. But a lot of these platforms, again, have released studies saying, well, you know, 90% of the keywords that we have numbers for, the numbers below 20 searches a month, which kind of falls into the, you know, not that interesting. Right, right, the right. thing I think that makes it so interesting now, because, you know, the question is, well, why are people only talking about this now? Because we've been doing SEO for quite a while now as a community. Mm -hmm. Why is there so much discussion now? I think it's to do actually with the search engine technology mm -hmm. that's made it interesting. Yes. So we hear lots from Google now. Um, they'll give us interesting stats, like one in five searches we see every day is brand new. It hasn't happened before. Right. So it's a combination of words that's never been typed in, or it's about a news event. But what I talk to clients about now is normally intent volume rather than yep. necessarily 
search volume, which is that if you have a specific key phrase because you want to find some information, maybe, you know, uh, some men's blue running shoes or something like that, mm -hmm. there's probably 20 or 30 different ways you can type in that query to Google that mean the same thing. So the actual intent volume, even if there's only 10 searches a month for each of those, mm -hmm. if there's 10 of them, if there's 20 of them, it's 100, 200 searches a month suddenly that's gone under the radar. Right. And why I think it's interesting now is that we're finally getting to the stage where the language analysis, the understanding of search engines is getting good enough to say, oh, okay, this is actually what they mean. We're going to group all these terms together because I know this page right. covers that intent rather than the sort of more old school method, which is the, well, does this search query, do the words individually match what I see on this page? So that's why I think there's now opportunity that didn't exist even five years ago. We're proud to have Site Strategics as a sponsor of Edge of the Web. We're pioneers in the agile digital marketing methodology. Core specialties that we provide are technical SEO, including core web vitals optimization, search engine marketing, social media marketing and management, focus on conversion rate optimization, truly focused on results-based marketing that works. We've also developed a unique omni-channel media marketing and content curation process as guided by our weekly R&D from our Edge of the Web interviews. We incorporate the best techniques for our content broadcast strategy and execution. If you're interested in what we can do for you, just give us a call at 877-SEO4WEB or 877-736-4932. So language and its understanding of language and the relationship of entities, right, as well, come into mix here where we used to see keyword volume as the bug light for us all to fly towards. We are now in a new level of maturation of understanding concepts and keywords are just merely derivatives of the entities. They always have been. It's the only, our language was the bridge. Now we're seeing visual search and how that is actually connecting to intent as well. Google's understanding so much more. Think about how Google sees the websites out there and all their content kind of pivoting over and focusing on fathead terms, right? We call that high volume terms, right? And if it sees all this content out there, all oriented towards the feeding trough over here, and then it sees another site that is actually answering consumer questions in these very low volume, but high intent areas of their site, right? Google's wanting to have these questions answered. Google's learning more than anything else, and it can't learn from the pigs in the trough, so to speak. It can learn from somebody that's actually creating a map of understanding. It's not about volume, it's about helping the customer, right? Yeah, I, lo I love that um, saying, by the way, it can't learn from the trough, <laughs> from the pigs in the feed trough. Um, so I think you've touched on a couple of really interesting points there, right? Which is that when we started using people also ask data mm -hmm. uh, in search for keyword research. The way we were looking at this was that the people also ask data, which is derived by Google and includes searches that people are doing. It's not a feature that's dependent on what they find on websites. It also includes what people search for. Mm -hmm. the, the way I like to think of it is intent proximity, which is if someone asks this question mm -hmm. or if they search for this brand, this is the closest next thing they want to know. So, you know, they want to know what this is and then they want to know like how much it costs, for instance. That's the next 
highest probability of intent and they have like normally four questions they show in PAs to kind of spread bet that. Right. And what's fascinating in the experiments that I've run on this is that the questions that Google is showing and people also ask are not necessarily written like that verbatim on the web page they've got the answer for. Yep. So they've worked out, okay, this web page answers this question. And we've done a few really interesting experiments where we have outranked um, lots of sites by simply taking the question that Google has asked in the mm -hmm. PAA box and matching it up with an existing answer hmm. just to kind of prove the point that Google understands that that is the answer to that question. But right. if you match the actual question, kind of the way Google's trained itself is that it then looks and goes, oh, well, actually, we know for sure this explicitly answers this thing now because it's even matching what our next nearest query is. Yeah, it's almost like a shortcut towards its iterative process. That you're, What you're saying is the AI, and we're about to get into knowledge graph territory real quick, mm. but the iterative process of putting those PAs together, that's a much larger, and we'll get into the full-on PAA discussion here in a bit, but it does give us a picture of what Google is learning from websites, and it's actually positioning and writing new content that actually represents these areas, almost a subset of the knowledge graph. So knowledge graph for our listeners, I mean, it's it's a topic. It's a way of organizing an understanding of a topic, and that's not about high-volume search. It, it, it's a space where there's subsets and topics, and it's maybe making a larger picture of a concept, right? There are related topics and interrelationships, and the more it understands, the more clarity or focus uh, the picture is. It's almost like a mosaic of information, and it's not just at the content level, it's also at the video level, it's also at the image level. All of this comes into the construct of how Google's understanding a topic. Let me tell you a little bit about our new sponsor, SE Ranking. SE Ranking is a cloud-based platform that offers a comprehensive set of tools for SEO and online marketing professionals. Their platform includes a site audit, competitor analysis, website ranking, keyword suggestion and grouping, backlink monitoring, automated and professional reporting, and much, much more. As a new sponsor of Edge of the Web, we want to share who they are and what they're offering. We have a contest. It's the SE Rankings Checklist Challenge. If you complete the challenge, you'll get one month of the Pro 1000 subscription for free. So go to edgeofthewebradio.com forward slash SE Ranking. You'll get a free use of the Pro Level software package for two weeks. And here's what you have to do to complete the checklist. Create a project, add at least five keywords, find five competitors via the competitor research tool and add them to your my competitor section run a website audit and show what issue you're going to fix do a backlink check and upload your backlinks to the backlink monitoring tool add any page to the page changes monitor that's in the website audit section and show the graphs of history of changes send your screenshots of completion of these steps to the email that you'll receive when signing up and you'll receive a full month of pro 1000 service and one edge listener will get a a full year business package. We'll announce that on our February 14th podcast. Not kidding around, this is a $2,500 value. So go over to edgeofthewebradio.com forward slash SE ranking to sign up now. What we're really kind of moving into uh, is knowledge graph optimization. And your zero volume keyword is a key signifier of 
how Google's learning all the other areas, not just a high volume of consumer intent. Would you would you agree with that? Yeah, it's really interesting. So we've known now for you know well over a decade, Google made their first announcements about the knowledge graph and yep. what they were trying to achieve from it. So this is a step away from 10 blue links and a step away from we're just passing unstructured data on the web and trying to understand globs of text and connect them up to search terms. So, you know, the knowledge graph is their own set of structured data about entities, about things, about mm -hmm. brands, about products, concepts, and all the edges, the nodes, and how they connect together, which allows them, you know, and it's amazing, you know, like celebrity names are a great example. You, you Google them and it knows this celebrity is an actor, actors are in films. These are films that this person was in mm -hmm. and, you know, all their vital stats, people want to know, you know, how tall are they? Are they single? That kind of information. It's almost so like it's really, the three degrees of, of Kevin Bacon, but on steroids. I mean, it actually has all these interrelationships. Sorry, keep on going. Yeah, absolutely. So that's, I think, obviously where Google would ideally like to be, you know, they would love to complete their mission because that's their mission, right? To index the world's information. Mm -hmm. um, web search results are still kind of web search results, if you like, you know, they rely heavily on title tags and links and there's kind of this overlap, you know, when you Google a brand name, you get some knowledge graph stuff, you get some web search right. stuff. The other features like PAA are really what interests me because the results in people also ask as well are incredibly different from the web search results and they're very heavily language focused mm -hmm. and by that i mean there is a distinct drop off in the number of queries that will trigger people also ask results in languages outside of english right and this is reflective of what we've heard when Google pushed updates such as BERT, which was obviously a big change for them in terms of how they were understanding queries. Mm -hmm. You know, they said this is going live in English first and then we'll get there with other languages. So to me, when you Google what maybe is classes as an entity, when you're getting people also ask results, it kind of hovers between knowledge graph and it hovers between web results because you get very specific questions, like we said, that are related normally to attributes of that entity or things Google knows people ask about it, but they're not like web results. Right. So it's almost this halfway house between we kind of know this is a thing and these are the things that people are interested about, about these things, but we haven't quite got a way to be sure enough to categorize this and kind of sink it into the knowledge graph, mm -hmm. if you like. So for me, it's just another whole goldmine of information about how Google is understanding queries, intent, and the information it finds on the web. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's where strategies can diverge from high volume search to actually optimization of the knowledge of its topic, right? And being able to track kind of the, the, the neural map that Google has about a topic is kind of this new blue ocean strategy here, being able to find intent and be able to help educate Google more about a subject. So that's the most important thing. It's still trying to learn and it's going to be rewarding. We're already seeing that in the wild all over the place. And it's rewarding sites that you wouldn't expect to have high rank with featured snippets, with PAAs. It's actually pulling in a lot of 
incredible answers from sites that are actually explaining it well, but maybe don't have the conventional DA authority coming in from a high volume of links or anything like that, right? Yeah, I mean, we just actually, like in the last week, I think Google made some noise, some comment got grabbed that they said links aren't going to be as important in the future. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think anyway, most people have it accepted that anyway, you know, to me, they're still very, very important for web search ranking. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when I've spoken and talked to people about zero volume keywords specifically, the kind of metaphor I used is that Google's spotlight, the playing field for websites is much larger now because it understands the nuance of the query. It allows it to understand what it's looking for better, mm -hmm. which means that if you don't quite understand the query, what's your kind of next level of quality metric? It's, well, I know these 100 sites talk about this topic and I'm just going to pick the first few sites with the best kind of link profile because I know I trust them. So they probably have the right answer. Right. Whereas if Google understands the nuance of the query, then it can say, oh, actually out of those 100 sites, these three sites answer this specific query really well. And that's when we're now starting to see maybe lots of sites we don't expect to see that we didn't see before. And this is all wrapped in with things like the passage indexing update. Mm -hmm. So yep. when the information is buried in there, Google can jump you straight down, find the answer or drag it out in a featured snippet. So again, there's been three or four updates that I think have contributed to Google's ability to do this. And of course, like, <laughs> like we always see when Google kind of leans into a new way of doing things. We have spammers taking advantage of that. I'm sure you've seen, um, there's been quite a few reports on the kind of scraping Q&A type sites that yeah, yeah, were exactly. getting, you know, one, two million organic visitors within 12 weeks of yep. publishing the site, yep. which is again, just a, you know, people still talk about things like the Google sandbox and earning links, <laughs> but this is just showing you that with those specific answers, they were going around all of these things that traditionally we thought, okay, well, you know, the domain needs to warm up a bit. We need some good links. It's just like, nope, we Google answers. Thought, yeah, we've you've got the best answer. So to the front of the queue, you yeah, go. Yeah, and the gamification was out there. And Glenn Gabe's actually reporting on a lot of sites that are dropping almost to a flatline amount of traffic because they were AI writing answers to these questions. And so there was a mad gold rush to be able to try to answer and be able to get that relevancy. Then that's where the helpful content classifier came through as well as a number of the core updates here recently that is just stamping down this. And that's another evolution there. It's showing that it understands programmatic writing, it's understanding subject matter to the degree that it can actually say, you know what, yeah, that was the answer, but you're not really an authority because you're just spinning it up because I see the derivative information from all these different sites kind of collating in your answer. So they're on top of it now. And the only way to actually create this content is to deep dive with your subject matter experts, pull that out and be able to put them on stage, so to speak, because that is the true authority in there. And the more you can actually do that around all the subset information about that subject, those are the trusted answers that Google's looking for, right? Yeah. So we, um, I, <laughs> I run lots of tests for these things. <laughs> awesome. um, and, um, one thing I noticed was, so I did some experiments with basically scraping PAA questions 
and then trying to publish different kind of answers automatically to to see what worked. And I'd just like to say that while I did this, firstly, um, when I do this, I don't monetize the pages. And I'm very specific if like I'm scraping content, it's from other like programmatic type sites. I'm not taking someone's lunch, basically. There you go. Um, yeah. Good to say that to us. <laughs> <laughs> so um, there's, there's two things of interest that I noted. One was that scraped content mixed together was actually outperforming significantly AI written content. Mm -hmm. So when I tried using things like GPT-3 to generate answers, the answers read pretty well, but Google didn't seem as interested as content that was just taken, you know, from, from a snippet somewhere else. Mm. The other thing was that, yes, so I had a couple of these sites, they survived the helpful content update. They had like a small drop, like 10, 20%. And then they got absolutely smashed to pieces by the <laughs> latest spam update. They literally went to zero. Oh my overnight. gosh. Um, and yeah, no loss because I'm not doing anything with them, but it's really interesting to, I call them like canaries, right? Mm -hmm. To see what's working well and what Google's kind of going after. Because the thing about the updates now, which is different to many years ago, is Google doesn't really tell us what's being adjusted. And I think partially that's because they don't know in the way that they used to. Mm -hmm. I think now they look more at the output that they want and there's a lot of machine learning stuff being tweaked. Um, whereas before it was maybe a bit more manual, like, okay, we need to look at these metrics. Right. So it's useful to have these things, I think, to get some sense for when they say spam update, what does that mean? Are they looking at links? Are they looking at on-page content? And like this spam update, I think they were definitely targeting, like you said, this kind of lower quality, however it was generated, churned out content, because none of these sites had really link profiles. So there's nothing there for them to penalize. Mm -hmm. So yeah, definitely with you on that. You know, like Google's been telling us for a long time, we should be playing the long game, especially, you know, if you're a brand, you, you know, you should be making SEO an investment, not trying to play tricks because right. they will catch up with you eventually. Maximize your client's budgets using Wix. Use every dollar towards growth and revenue driving assets by relying on Wix's enterprise grade security and reliability. Work more efficiently using Wix's SEO automation and scalable SEO solutions to deliver sustainable results without vulnerabilities, downtime, and workflow inefficiencies for any website of any size. Fix less, grow more with Wix. Go over to edgeofthewebradio.com forward slash Wix today to learn more. I think we're in the space of subject matter oriented keywords more than anything else and optimizing that for knowledge as opposed to for that market volume. That's where we're going to be rewarded from here on out. I mean, there's still gamification, but Google, I mean, the, the, the volatility of the SERP has been at all-time high for the last 12 months. I think Morty reported on from SEMrush that they were looking at We've never been at this high volatility, and it very, very well may be that that's the norm now, that there's no receding valleys, that we're in a constant kind of analysis and a constant rollout of almost immediate algorithm changes based on its AI learning and its classification. So we may be in a place where there's no place where you can try to game, not that we'd ever recommend it, but no, no place where you could actually game on keywords and have it fly for any period of time because it's such a churn now in the ranking space that it's constantly focusing on better and better information that it can actually get as opposed to what we've seen in the past. Would you agree with that? 
yeah, 100%. I mean, there there is so much changing now. And when we talk to clients about SEO, I always try and talk to them about the, the long-term goals and the long-term thinking about how people are going to be using search engines. So thinking about what we we're just talking about, which is playing around with, you know, spammy sites and seeing what Google's doing. It's mm. fine. It's it's interesting, but it's not the future because, you know, you mentioned there, you know, we've we've spoken about, um, or you've spoken before about things like Google's updates, like Mum, where they're going to be pulling together various sources of the web to answer questions. Mm -hmm. um, we've got, you know, mobile phones now that people speak to, smart TVs. The, the paradigm, I think, of going to a search engine and typing in a question and then the user scrolling through results to try and decide what's relevant for them. I think those days are numbered mm. as, you know, when I was a child having to do research by going to a library, searching for a book and then crawling around on my hands and knees <laughs> to try and find the correct book on the shelf. That I think is what looking through search results is going to feel like in the future, because it will be more of a, you just ask the system this question and it will give you the answer mm -hmm. um which is why i think this you know knowledge graph the whole structured data stuff the intent proximity is important because you need to create a digital footprint for the future so you are known as a brand you are known as trusted you're known as this topical area because i think we're getting to a precipice now where google is starting to lean into that and i think it's a fascinating time to be doing seo because I've seen lots of people complaining that aren't in SEO at all, hmm. but complaining about the quality of Google search results, um, saying they can't find what they're looking for. And, you know, there, there's been lots of uh, press recently about um, Gen Z using TikTok instead of Google yeah, yeah, for yeah, certain yeah. things, Absolutely. right? Um, and I think this, again, is a symptom of Google trying to fundamentally change how they're finding, indexing, presenting information, which they have to because the basis of the whole page rank model is styled on the old web where everyone was on forums linking to stuff right. doesn't really exist how it used to so the underlying foundation has to change and we're at this tipping point of the technology probably isn't quite good enough mm -hmm. although it's great it's amazing it's interesting it's an incredibly hard problem to solve but we want to be putting our investments our time our money in the future, not in the kind of past. Absolutely. We cannot fall subject to some quick get rich or get traffic schemes. Uh, by its very nature, you got to stay away from that because Google will stamp this down quicker and quicker and quicker. You've got to go into subject matter expertise. Uh, that's a great place for us to stop, Mark, on this particular segment. For our listeners, we're going to be talking about PAAs in depth, as well as also asked on the second part of the uh, interview here. But thanks so much for this time today, and uh, we, we, we're going to look forward to our next segment, Mark. Brilliant. Thank you. All right. So make sure you listen to the second part of the Mark Williams Cook interview by visiting edgeofthewebradio.com. Follow Mark Williams Cook on Twitter at the Taffer Boy. That's T A F F E R Boy. And follow us on Twitter at Edge Web Radio. Thanks to our sponsors. Make sure you go uh, check them out and let them know that you heard about them on Edge because that's why they're here is to be able to connect with you, our listeners. Uh, hey, and if you think about it, why don't you go over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash edge today and give us a rate on this show how, and let us know how we're doing because that's how we adjust the algorithm. Well, we can't do it, but you can so we can get in, the, in front of listeners that haven't heard us before. So uh, 
from all of us over the edge, stay safe, stay well, and do not be a piece of cyber driftwood. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.